you find yourself with the same incurable curiosity as us, this is a place for you. This is Spiritual Smorgasbord with Cheyenne and Desiree. You know what sounds really good? What? A bag of donuts. Does it? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm really glad that we have Benny from TikTok season one, one of our little highlights on today. Oh my gosh. Yes, we did play one of Benny's um, TikToks on season one and it was very informative, so informative that I needed him to have his own episode. Yes. And uh, do not worry, uh, you will find out why his TikTok name is Bag O Donuts. Yeah. Um, but he's going to come on. We're going to talk about a book called The Immortality Key that he takes some notes on. Um, we talk about psychedelics, microdosing, um, the responsibility of taking psychedelics recreationally. He um, talks a little bit about the gateway process, which we've mentioned a few times on yes. this episode. And on. I mean, like, he definitely, like, we start out talking about, like, Vinny himself. Yeah. So, Absolutely. You like, know, what it's makes really, Vinny Vinny? It's really important to humanize him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think he's a really great resource on TikTok, and he's also going to have a YouTube channel up. So, mm-hmm. this is Vinny. I hope y'all enjoy. Hey, Desiree. Hey, Cheyenne. How's your day? My day's amazing. How's your day? It's really pretty outside. It's a beautiful day. Although, you know, the heat, I'm conflicted between beautiful and sweating my, you know, cheeks off. Well, before you know, it'll be cold as shit and you'll be asking (laughs) for this. So I'm just going to live a little bit in gratitude because it's so easy to be like, oh, it's hot. Right. You are so right. Yeah, but I don't want to do that because I really enjoy my summer, my summer wear. Yeah. Which is still some ripped up. Flannel, Flannel. shy dye. <laughs> yeah, we're both in long sleeves on ninety degrees. <laughs> yeah. Um, what are you doing? How are your tarot decks doing? They're doing amazing, which is awesome because I originally like I was really scared ordering the hundred decks that I ordered. Mm-hmm. I was like, are these even going to sell? Am I going to throw away all this money? And I'm literally down to like a couple of decks, and I am frantically trying to get a reorder done before I run out, and I have to tell people I'm sorry, I'm out. So that's what I'm doing right now, which is amazing. I was so going to say that's very grateful. I yeah. was one of the first people to purchase your decks because not you because I'm your friend, <laughs> but because I know how amazing they are, yes, and I you. use them all the time. I love them. I highly recommend them. So I'm glad to hear that you're having such success with that. Yeah, thank you. How about you? What's going on with you? So much. Yeah. I just got asked to um, ordain a wedding coming up in the next few months. So I'm studying up and making sure that everything is good for both of us. And then we have a meeting this week where we're going to get together and see if we're compatible for the job. So Mm -hmm. I haven't been hired just yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I've been getting, approached. I've been approached, and mm-hmm. it feels really cool, and it's nerve wracking and like honorable all at the same time. So for sure, I'm really happy to do it, and um, I want to, I I want to do it so many times, and I haven't even done it once yet. Yeah, but I've been like a maid of honor. I've been a bridesmaid. I've been the bride. Like I think it's time that I step into my legendary role as officiating unconditional love. 
Yes. So I'm very excited for that. I'm I've excited wanted, for you too. I've wanted to be an ordained minister since I was a kid and every religion I went to, I was like, I do not want your brand on my body. Like I do not, <laughs> I'm not about all these boxes. You're like, so, I love God my way. Yeah. I just, you know, whatever God is to you, creator, spirit. Yeah. However you want to get home. That's cool. Just don't like hurt anybody else. And then like, I'm cool with it. Yeah. So yeah, I'm really excited about that. But I'm also really excited for our guest today. I know. So I originally, if anybody's listened to season one, thanks for listening. Um, I brought you. Vinny's TikTok on season one, episode four. It's the hypnosis and friendly brainwaves episode. And he did such a great job explaining Dolores Cannon and Nostradamus. Mm -hmm. Right. That um, at the time I was like, I know I want you on the show. I don't know when we're going to fit it in, but we're going to fit it in. <laughs> and today is Vinny's day. Today's the day. Today is the day. And he's brought some really cool topics that he's even going to educate us on. I've mm -hmm. heard, I recognized two things that he said, which made me really happy yeah um because i want to be the student in the room and which I, his tiktok name really makes me kind of laugh a little okay so and remind me to ask you this like right when you start talking but his tiktok name is bago donuts mm -hmm. and i don't know what made him pick it but maybe i do he really likes donuts yeah maybe he does but i do remember in the episode i was like when i talk to him i'm going to ask him why his name is that <laughs> so Vinny, hello yeah welcome hello how are you doing I'm doing fantastic. I'm just finished up a semester of school, which was absolutely hell. I mean, literally up until two days ago, I was up until three o'clock every single morning working. So I'm glad to be done with that for the next couple months. I remember those days. We're really excited for you, yeah. too. I only made it like two semesters before I dropped out and went on tour with my boyfriend's band. But those <laughs> two semesters were super just ugh. Blech, full of parties and homework. <laughs> See, so I went to a community college and then there was a university about 40 minutes away that everybody went to. And like they do like their first two years and then everybody transfers. It's called Macomb. Yeah. Well, it's Western if anybody's familiar with it. And uh, that was the goal is like, we're going to go to Western. We're going to go do this. Yeah. So then I would go to school during the week and I would go to Western on the weekends. And I thought for sure that I was going to transfer in two weeks, but I didn't like, you know, my life took a completely different trajectory. The road. So yeah, the road, <laughs> which is, you know, my biggest calling. So when you're like, Oh God, all that homework. I'm like, well, dude, you're a senior. So you've gotten a lot further in that like <laughs> head against the wall homework college yeah. phase than I ever did. And you're also getting a degree in computer science. So the homework I was doing and what you're doing is not, not even comparable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, there's been several times over the past couple of years where I'm like, why, why do I keep doing this to myself? Because I always end up, you know, just absolutely hating myself at some point because of the, the absolute you know, workload of it, but, um, I don't know, soon, soon to be done here. So I can finally start a, a real career. Well, I can tell you 13 years on after my graduation from my master's, you don't even remember it. So one day, <laughs> one day you're going to be happy. That's funny. What do you yeah. want to, what do you want to do with your degree? Um, so ideally I would like to go into developing software. So like, you know, right now we're using discord to communicate. I would like to be the person that built that whole application. Gotcha. Um, yeah, that's ideally what I'd like to do with it. Um, currently I'm just working as an IT like support for an insurance company, but um, so it's really boring. But, um, well, you got to start somewhere. Ideally, 
Yeah, exactly. You gotta, yeah. you gotta get your foot in the door somewhere. But, um, you know, ideally I'd like to be creating, you know, the apps and, uh, the software that people are using every single day. I think that's a powerful dream. Yeah. I hope you do it. Thank yeah. you. Me too. <laughs> Thank you. Me too. <laughs> okay. So, um, we talked a little bit before we actually hit record just so like I got, I got my mind right. Cause I was a little fuzzy when I came into the studio today. Well, and before we get into a story, I still need to know. Oh yeah. yeah. Bag of donuts. Man. Bag, of, bag of yeah. donuts. Bag of donuts. Yeah. What's up with that? I've actually, um, I knew you guys were going to ask at some point because you brought it up. <laughs> He's in like, that I, don't, I don't, um, I don't, I don't want to answer this. <laughs> no, it's good. It's an R8. It's not like a great answer, but so have you guys ever seen the movie, My Cousin Vinny? I was uh, going to ask you if you've seen yeah. that movie. Yeah. Yes. So uh, my cousins always called me Vinny Bag of Donuts because of that movie for years. That's And funny. at some points would even bring me actual like hostess bags of donuts at like family events. Um, so that's where I kind of got that nickname. And then I watched the movie and it's an absolutely fantastic movie. So as I started to like cultivate my, my online presence and, um, you know, my TikTok page, I was like, well, I need a name that's like going to stick out. Right. Um, so Vinny Bag of Donuts is just absolutely perfect. <laughs> that is perfect. So when I first, you know, came across your channel, I was telling my husband about all your videos and your name. And I was like, this guy's name is Vinny on TikTok. I said, the only thing that I can come up with is my cousin Vinny. And then yeah. um, we start quoting the line of the movie where she's like, imagine your idea and you're traveling through the woods. And I can't do all of it. My my husband does it perfect. So now, like, I was like, hey, I'm getting ready to go do Vinny's episode. And he just goes, imagine your idea. And he starts <laughs> quoting stuff from the movie. So I love that you brought that up because that's literally my correlation with your name. So best, best description ever. <laughs> well, so Wait. now we know. Yeah. Yeah. Now the mystery's been solved. Mm -hmm. So now we can kind of get into, um, so you have over 50,000 followers on TikTok. You have amazing content. You can go anywhere from like psychedelics, safety and psychedelics, the gateway tapes, time travelers. I mean, I can't list off all your content. If there's anything else you want to throw in later, please let me know. Um, but I absolutely just fell in love with all of your content. Like right when I saw the Dolores Cannon, that popped up like a for you page. So I was super grateful for that. And then um, I just did like a deep dive through your page over and over because I really like the way that you deliver all the messages and you just pack so much information yeah. in a small amount of time. So, so what made baby Vinny, baby Vinny that turned into the Vinny that gives us his TikToks? Sure. Um, so YouTube kind of like became popular, I guess, when I was just coming of age. Um, and so I was watching all of these people just make videos of them doing random dumb shit and doing it professionally and like making money off of it and that becoming their livelihood. Um, so that definitely planted a seed inside of my head um, at like 13 years old that like this is something I want to do. Um, I tried it a couple times and failed at it um, and then kind of you know, forgot about that pipe dream for a while until TikTok became really popular. Um, so I just started making, you know, off the wall nonsense, you know, short videos um, just for, you know, the hell of it. And then about a year ago or so, uh, a video I made talking about time travel. And uh, actually it's the 
the key to paradox free time travel, which I won't go into too much detail about because that's a whole episode in and of itself. But um, that video absolutely took off. So that's when I realized I could kind of do this full time um, or at least as a hobby as it is right now um, and then grow it into something that I could turn into, you know, my main source of income, um, hopefully. <laughs> but um, from there, I kind of struggled to nail down what you'd consider like my niche for my content. You brought up, you know, I've talked about, you know, time travel, Dolores Cannon, psychedelics, the gateway process. Um, I spent a period of time talking about um, computer science, actually, since that's what I'm studying. Um, so it took a while before I was able to really nail down what type of what type of videos I wanted to, you know, make informational uh, stuff about. Um, and now I've settled on the like, kind of intersection between psychedelics and spirituality, focusing really heavily currently on the gateway experience, um, which for those of you that don't know, is a process that was created in the 1970s by a man by the name of Robert Monroe. Um, and it's effectively a very scientific and repeatable way to achieve higher states of consciousness. Um, but I've put out hours of content about that. So if you want to, see more about it, check out my TikTok. Um, and that's, that's where I've landed just because that's, you know, kind of what's going on with me personally is spirituality and like achieving, um, like I guess, a, a greater amount of closeness with my higher self and then also psychedelics, which I have an encyclopedic amount of knowledge on. Yes. Okay. So you used to just take acid. I would just say like recreationally, right? Just like, yeah. let's just go take some acid. Everybody exactly understands right. that. But then there's, <laughs> you know, using plant medicine. Well, acid's not plant medicine, but moving into like the, the mind frame of using it for medicinal spiritual purposes versus, you know, tripping. Tripping. Yeah. Just tripping out. Yeah. Yeah. Just tripping out and being like, ooh, glow sticks. But when you like, <laughs> you know, move over to like the psilocybin, the mushroom side of things, like what, what happened? Because... You were atheist. You, you know, you're just like living your life, doing your thing, which is totally fine. Teach their own. Um, When did you, when did you have, not to coin the term spiritual awakening, but when did you feel that shift in you? When did, when did it change? Or has it? Yeah. um, And you can definitely call it a spiritual awakening. So I'd want to say around 2019. So a couple of months before the pandemic started, um, my girlfriend and I came into some mushrooms and uh, decided, you know what, fuck it, let's take them. We both, you know, it was a great day out, so we just, you know, took some mushrooms and we were actually living in an apartment at the time. But um, that whole, that singular mushroom trip was like far more intense and um, I guess kind of eye-opening than all of my other acid experiences combined. Had you um, ever- I'm not sure if it had you ever what? done, sorry to interrupt, had you ever done mushrooms yeah. before or was that your first experience? No, this was, this was my first experience. Okay. Um, I can't remember exactly how many I took. I also don't think I had a scale at the time. So it was just kind of like, <laughs> that looks like enough, Handful. you know? Um, <laughs> that looks like yeah, enough. Exactly. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, so that, that probably played a part into why it was just so intense. Um, but at the end of the experience, I was so like even after like all of like the trippiness had faded away, I still felt this like innate connectedness to everything around me. Um, and I can remember one of our neighbors had come down right at perfect timing. As soon as the trip was over, he like came down and was like, what's going on? 
Um, and I was like, just finished taking some mushrooms, dude. But um, we were talking to him <laughs> and I was trying to explain like these, these feelings that I was having, you know, during and even after this trip. Um, and I said, you know, a connectedness to everything. And I'm like a bee flew by. And I was like, even that fucking bee, dude. Um, <laughs> yes. And you're describing like, everybody's true trip though. <laughs> like if you have oh, the, yeah. the trip where you just get it, like yeah. that's what you had. Yeah, exactly. So that definitely, that flipped the switch in me that made me realize that there is something more that I'm not seeing here. Um, so my opinions about what is greater than us have definitely changed. And um, you can, you know, see that as you watch, you know, some of the stuff that I put up. There's definitely, it's, it's no longer an evangelical atheist anymore. You know, it's, it's definitely more, or, or, you know, my opinions are definitely more oriented towards that of we are these consciousnesses that inhabit physical bodies but we are not limited to our physical bodies anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're on the same page. I believe that. Cool. (laughs) So I have a question, not pre-prepped. What made you, like, were you born into atheism? Like, what were you born into that made you believe first? Like, you know what I'm trying to ask? Like, let's go back. Okay, so now we're in spiritual. Before that was atheism. Before atheism was whatever you were indoctrinated or programmed with. So you want to unravel that for me? I didn't ask pre, Um, so I'm like, I hope it's not super traumatic. And I'm like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, my bad. No, it's not not super traumatic. But um, so I was born into a Roman Catholic family. Um, All right. Yeah. The, the best form of Catholicism. <laughs> no, dude, but, I totally uh, get it. One of my families is still Catholic to this day, and I love every one of them, so I understand being brought up in the church. Yeah, no, I mean, pretty much everyone that's, you know, like, older than me in the family, or I guess, you know, the adults, um, are still, you know, Catholic. But, so I was brought up Roman Catholic, um, and I didn't go to Catholic school. I went to, like, Catholic classes after school once a week. Um, never wanted to go the entire time. It was, it was eight years of these classes. And at not one point during those entire eight years was I like, yeah, I want to be here. Um, <laughs> but I didn't have a choice. You know, I was right. sick. Oh yeah. But, um, you got to go to so, church. You got to go get, exactly. Got to go get clean. Mm-hmm. Um, so by the end of that, which would have been about eighth grade, I was already like, you know, heavily questioning not only the, you know, the teachings of the church, but like, kind of the point of it all. Um, and then I get done with, you know, my last year, if you want to call it that, at that, those church classes, because after eighth grade, you enter high school and the, the choice becomes yours. And I, of course, chose no. Um, but by the end of that, I was, you know, pretty certain that what the church was was teaching wasn't wasn't accurate. Um, did you believe that they had, to, did you believe that they had their own agenda? Like when you think of like, taking those mushrooms and feeling the connectedness and understanding we're all here humanity wise, like universal consciousness, all of that fun stuff. And then you look at what the church's agenda is like, there's no freaking way that the church's agenda was there for all of humanity and to get us all back to God. I don't think at that point in time, I was like, yeah, the church has something else going on here. I don't want to be a part of it. Um, (laughs) It was just kind of me. (laughs) It was just kind of, you know, 12 year old me asking you know, questions about, the, you know, the church as a whole that weren't really answered um, very well. Like, I remember one of the, I guess the final nail in the coffin for me was I got confirmed through my church. Um, and I, I asked, 
priests, um, sisters, uh, family members. I asked as many people as I could, including, you know, the teachers at the school, what confirmation was. Cause you know, like you have, you receive your first Holy communion and that's like a very easy thing to pin down is now you're allowed to receive the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Now you can go up and drink the wine and eat the shitty cracker. Um, and then you get like, awful. I know. And then you get baptized and the wine's awful too. Yeah. Um, and we're going to talk about that. The wine of old church used to be a lot better. Um, <laughs> <laughs> cause it used to have fucking psychedelics in it. But, um, that's so funny. No. Yeah. So like confirmations is kind of like weird thing that like, there's no, I mean, the answer I got from everyone was it was to strengthen your bond with God. And I was like, that's not an answer. So, but that was the answer I kept getting. Mm-hmm. And by the end of like that whole year, no one could answer the question for me in like a good enough way. So I was like, okay, these people clearly don't have the answers to the questions that I want to ask. Um, so I just said, fuck it. The church is wrong, you know? Um, and I just really completely stopped believing in God at that point. I was especially the, the version of God that the church pushes. And I still don't believe in that version. Yeah. So that's a pretty, uh, that's a good way to put it though. God. Cause I feel the same way. Like, I think that's why I've even, I don't veer away from using God, but if I say God and I'm in like, I'm around anybody. I'm like, and whatever God means to you. And that's yeah. like, that's my nice way of saying, I don't believe in the way that you tell me God is just because I've went through the same stuff where I've sat at those studies and had my questions and it just doesn't make sense to me. And the older I got, yeah. it didn't make sense to me. Um, but yeah, that's one of the biggest things is I'm like, I need you to know that I do not believe in what you've been taught God is like, but if if you want to have an open conversation about unconditional love and the highest frequencies, like I'm, I'm all about it, but I, I love the similarities that we have in our story. I didn't get baptized actually. Um, and I, and I have drank like the wine and ate the crackers. So many different churches, just cause you go with different family members, you go with friends, all of that stuff. So I was really confused between going, uh, Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian, Catholic, and Mormon. And when I got to the mm. Mormon church, I was like, what the fuck is going on in not just this church, but every church ever? Like, why are mm-hmm. pagans so bad when you guys are eating skin and blood over here saying it's <laughs> not a ritual? Like, this is just weird, yeah. you know? And it wasn't <laughs> until, like, right before I dropped out of college, I was getting ready to apply to go to, like, a world religions class. And I was like, if I go to that class, like, they'll make sense, right? They'll tell me why there's so freaking many of them. And then I end up dropping out, not going. So I went to a thrift store, like, the same week I dropped out and bought so many different books on, like, variations of religion. And I opened the book, and the first thing was teaching me about Hinduism. And, like, I tattooed karma on my wrist when I was 18, Um, so when I saw karma, like right here, I knew where karma had come from when I tattooed it. But when I started reading about it, I was like, now we're getting somewhere. This reincarnation stuff makes sense, you know? And then like you slowly just start breaking yourself away because it's not like you can run back to your parents who have put you in the church your whole life and been like, what do you think about karma? They're like, no, we're not having this conversation. I'm also the same kid that went up to my parents and was like, I just saw a grandma. She told me she's fine. Yeah. You know, and they're like, we don't see ghosts here. I'm like, okay, well. So I understand like the breaking of like your beliefs slowly with your kid. But then like, since you're a kid, you just look like super rebellious. Right. Mm -hmm. You're just like, I'm not going anymore. And especially in a Catholic setting. I mean, it's just like, what do you mean your kid's not going to church? 
What are you doing? Yeah. So I totally get that. And I understand why you would probably be atheist after that point too. Yeah. Luckily my family wasn't super hardcore Catholic. We went, you know, holidays, special occasions. And then like occasionally I would get dragged on a Sunday. Um, so I guess it wasn't really hard for me to distance myself, at least mentally from the church. Uh, well, that's good. And even, yeah. And even after like that breaking point, I still had gone a couple of times. Um, but it was, you know, it wasn't like too difficult for me to be able to like not be forced into it, especially after I got done with that, like those school classes. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my two cents. <laughs> right. So, okay. So then you're atheist, you're doing acid recreationally, then you have the shrooms trip and you have that oneness connectedness moment that I really like about shrooms. Very. Because yeah. I had the same moment um, and I've heard basically anybody who's like had that particular got it moment. Even when mm-hmm. they come down, they're like, I'll never forget that feeling. Like, I'll never in a million years forget it. I want I want to get back there, but I don't want to do shrooms all the time. But I know, like, yeah. I tapped into a different frequency, and I'm able to. And it ultimately started, like, studying consciousness and all the things that you're doing now. So um, you've obviously flipped over and had a little bit of a spiritual awakening. So tell me a little bit about, like, your change perspectives with this awakening that you're going through? Uh, yeah. So before I guess that kind of flip, this entire podcast would have been something that I'd probably dismiss. Okay. Um, just because <laughs> that's really every, cool yeah, though. Yeah. But yeah. So like everything that like it's talked about as far as, um, thought like, I don't know, just to come up with something like chakras and tarot, um, even, you know, karma, uh, that you just recently brought up everything that like had to do with the metaphysical or anything existing outside of just this pure physical reality, I would just completely throw out, you know? Um, Why do you think your mind automatically does that though? Like what, like now that you are on the other side, looking back, what would actually push every metaphysical thing away from you? Is it just like too woo woo logic? Yeah, logic. But I think it was, I associated, I guess, kind of personally, any, anything to deal with spirit, um, even just the word spirit immediately in my mind got tied to the church. Um, even if like, you know, it was, you know, tarot and paganism, like anything immediately I was like, Oh, that's like, you know, kind of the church's deal. Um, so the church would hate to know that right now. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I I love that there are people out Um, there like you, Vinny. Keep thinking that Tara and the church are friends. We need it. We need divination tools back in there. Um, but yeah, so I just tied anything basically metaphysical to the church because I wasn't really that educated on all, um, the different facets of the metaphysical. Uh, so that probably was the largest contributor to me just deciding, you know, it's, it's this life and then nothing, you know? Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So I didn't believe, I didn't believe in ghosts for the longest time. I'm still on the fence because I used to be highly afraid of ghosts. Um, <laughs> so to finally decide to be like, yeah, they're real. Cause like, I don't know, give me like crippling anxiety or something. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get it. And I see them and I still get very anxious about it. Like I'm yeah. just, I'm just like, Oh cool. This is happening again. Awesome. I'm I'm totally into this. 
Luckily, I only see them in my mind's eye, not in my physical eye. So they don't scare me. <laughs> well, nice. Do you um, do you have any clear senses that you um, know about or coming into anything like that? Do you have that like voice in your head that talks to you that you thought was you and now you realize it's like your higher self or anything like that? Nothing as of yet. As of that's, yet. Um, as of yet. That's, I guess that's probably part of what's encouraging me to pursue the gateway process is I want to, you know, I've been looking for a tool to kind of heighten my, you know, my, my clear senses. So you know, you hopefully know what, as I practice those, I'll, I'll learn something. You know, what's funny is um, I used to believe that I didn't have any clear senses until I started learning more about how to identify what clear senses you have. Mm-hmm. And then I started learning. I did. Yeah, mm. like they're just, mm-hmm. they're super, they feel just super normal and ordinary. Mm-hmm. Like just, oh, I thought about somebody and then they called me. Like stuff like that. Like it just mm-hmm. randomly comes up. And you can, I mean, you can make it a superpower if you want and really train it. But what I found is all of the clear senses are muscles that you actually can exercise. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to be like super special. And yeah, it helps if your, you know, family is like, you know, open to all of it and they don't shut that down all mm-hmm. the time mm-hmm. um so yeah i mean that's right because i've always heard like the audio and then the third eye stuff the actual like apparitions they're like new to me but they're not because they happen in and out of my life so i think that's why i was always pulled to like those discovery shows of like haunted houses and this ghost messed up my life and like all this crazy stuff that still terrifies me. Like I can't, I can't watch ghost stuff mm-hmm. mostly at night. And even during the day, I'm like, Oh God, I'm not going to sleep tonight. Like I'm a little kid about it for sure. So I like that. You're like, I don't think I have anything. I don't know, but I'm going to like research it and see what mm-hmm. happens. Cause mm-hmm. it's definitely like an unfolding where you're like, Oh, I can do that. And Oh, do I want to exercise that muscle? Or I just want to be like, Oh cool. That's there. You know, everybody has their purpose. I know there's a lot of people who have an awakening and they're, you know, they get like their crystal kit, their chakras. They, you know, they're called to be sound healers. They're called to be Reiki masters doing like all of that light worker work, so to speak. But I don't think that everybody's going to wake up and, you know, see dead people and do Mm -hmm. all of that. Like that's not the point of the flowering of human consciousness is so we can all like talk to dead people and be like, Ooh, spirit guides. What Mm -hmm. am I wearing today? (laughs) Um, But I know that's obviously like a fun part for a lot of people coming into it, including me. Mm -hmm. But um, I'm very, I'm very curious of how everybody else is awakening when they can actually admit that there is like a paradigm shift in in themselves. Um, And I think that's what I'm, so interested in yours about especially after watching your page for so long you can definitely see like every time you take this information and whether it be gateway or whatever you're doing I can really see how it affects you and like jumps you into like the the next rabbit hole and the next rabbit hole and I'm kind of the same way I'm surprised you don't have like the great awakening map behind you or something because that is something that you should buy and just invite your friends over and have a party. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'll do it. Yeah, I have it at my house and I just sit and stare at it like and read it because there's shit that I've never even heard of on there. And I'm like, all right, next rabbit hole. (laughs) Well, what's unfortunate is I only have so many friends that are actually um, open to hearing into spiritualism. That, yeah. And open to hearing that's it. super normal uh, oh, too. Yeah. 
That's super normal. Like I had a really big online community before I actually ever had anything in like Wichita to get in on. Well, even when I felt comfortable, because there's a beautiful spiritual community here. You can find anything you want in Wichita, which yeah. is why I'm like, please come to Wichita. We have everything you need for your spiritual needs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I totally get the, who am I supposed to talk to about this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because you don't really want to like go up to someone, you know, that's not into <laughs> it. Like it just feels better when you flow. I found Desiree and I'd be calling her left and right with everything that was going on with me. So I can understand that. Mm-hmm. And now I reach my hand out to you and I'm like, Vinny, if you ever just need to call somebody and tell them some weird shit you found out, I'm your girl. <laughs> cool. Okay, so you brought the Immortality Key book today and you're going to mm-hmm. crack that open and give us basically some free TikToks is how I feel. Yeah, <laughs> Freer than free. Yeah, yeah, so um, I want you to just take over and uh, show me what you brought to the table today. All right, cool. Yeah, so the name of the book is The Immortality Key. The subtitle is The Secret History of the Religion with No Name, and the author is Brian. Oh, I'm going to butcher the last name. Urarescu? Uh, I'll be happy, no, to, I'll right be happy to put the book link in I the I was notes like, let's say that yeah. a few times. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. We don't have to worry about it. Sorry we butchered your name. We did not prepare. Yeah. Um. But it absolutely is a fantastic book. I read it over the course of last year, about 400 pages, which is something that like you should be able to put down in a relatively short amount of time. But it's just, it's kind of difficult to read for someone that isn't into reading um, research because it is really a research journal of Brian as he literally traveled the world in search for the, the roots of Christianity. That was kind of his main uh, point. Um, the book follows something that's called or referred to as the pagan continuity hypothesis, which isn't a brand new idea, but it's this idea that Christianity, Christianity didn't just show up out of nowhere 2000 years ago. Um, it inherited pagan elements from the Greco Roman cults of the ancient Mediterranean. Uh-huh. So ancient Greece, ancient Rome, um, and then in the 1950s, a man by the name of Aldous Huxley would add psychedelics to the theory um, and say that, you know, some of the inheritances from those ancient religions would be psychedelic rituals. Um, and there's actually a line in here that I think was really neat was that um, Huxley would not only prophesize the fall of organized religion in the West, but the return to its mystical roots which I thought was neat because I think that's definitely something that we're seeing in 2021. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot less people that are a part of an organized religion and there's almost a spiritual resurgence going on. Um, So I thought that was really neat to, to bring up. Did he say like when he, he saw it happening or just that it happened? Just that it was, would happen. I don't think he wasn't, um, you know, he wasn't Nostradamus saying, you know, that these things would happen, but it was the ideas that he were, was putting forward was that, um, you know, we would see a downturn in organized religion and a resurgence of, or I think he used the term revival of the, the mystical roots of Western religion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm now going to take us to the 10,000 BCE um, to a place in Southeast Turkey called Gebekli Tepe. I believe you two um, are familiar with it at least. I'm familiar, but I need you to tell me more. Yeah. Yes. So Gebekli Tepe was 
constructed right about the end of the last ice age, which is kind of important because at this point in time, researchers didn't think that humans had the capability to really create structures. Um, and this isn't a small wooden hut. This is a, a ring type structure constructed out of these gigantic stones. Um, some of them upwards of 50 tons, um, thousands of years before Stonehenge or Egypt, um, or any other monolithic structure you can think of. This is predates all of those by thousands of years and even predates the oldest known civilization that we can, that we have a record for by several thousand years. So what the hell was this thing built for? Um, and how the hell did they build it? Because at that point in time, there's, you know, the tools just weren't around. Um, but upon excavation, excavation, excavation of this site, um, because it was backfilled with gravel and tools and uh, actually animal bones. So it was intentionally preserved as well. It wasn't just abandoned. It was filled in so it would be protected from the elements. Um, but upon the excavation of this site, uh, a couple of things were found, but one of the more interesting things was a human skull or actually several human skulls with a hole drilled, drilled through the top and rope marks around them. Now, obviously the rope wasn't still around because that decayed, but um, the skulls were still around and they could reconstruct roughly how the skulls would have been hung to like face forward. So these were, you know, intentionally constructed, not constructed skulls, but these were intentionally manipulated skulls. Um, for some form of ritual or ceremony that humans were performing at this site 10,000 years ago. Um, and the second thing that was discovered at this site was um, these quite large basins made out of limestone um, that could hold up to, I think it was 42 gallons of liquid. So they weren't small containers. They were quite large, you know, chiseled out pieces of limestone. Um, but inside of them was this particular compound called calcium oxalate, which is the result of brewing beer. Wow. So, so they had, yeah, kegs. they had keggers here. They had keggers at this place. Granted, <laughs> the beer was probably absolutely garbage, but, um. <laughs> that's what I was thinking too. I was like, oh God, that's gotta be awful. <laughs> so they had Oh yeah, it would have been. It would have been ambient temperature, you know, the distilling didn't exist, but um, if you just take a handful of barley or wheat, throw it into some water, the yeast that's on your hand is enough to actually kickstart the fermentation process. So Interesting. someone would have figured that out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the exact contents of that beer weren't, aren't known. The site was actually relatively recently discovered. Um, so more research is going to be done on to what actually happened at this site, but there was pretty undeniably some form of ritual ceremony surrounding the dead that took place at this site, which is really fucking neat. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm totally into this. I'm watching, I'm watching you educate me like I'm watching a Nat Geo. So if I'm just like, <laughs> you look over and you're like, okay, am I supposed to keep talking? Yes. yes. I'm totally into what you're saying right now. <laughs> I'm like hearting cool. your TikTok like a million times right now. I'm doing it. I thought about live streaming, but it would have been kind of difficult. Um, we can do it another time. Guess, it's okay. Yeah, sure. Um, and I guess the last thing that I'll bring up about these, these extremely ancient humans was that 
this is not the first site where some form of ritualistic ceremony took place that we have evidence for. Um, it's just kind of the most weird one because this is a large temple that wasn't a part of a civilization. It was just a freestanding temple. Um, but another pre-civilization site that I found is called um, Rakafet Cave. Again, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. R-A-Q-E-F-E-T. Um, and that's located in Israel. Israel, But the same thing was found there. Not quite the same large limestone basins, but there were bowls that at some point would have contained, you know, some ceremonious liquid because they didn't just look to be like everyday bowls, at least to the archaeologists that found the site. Mm-hmm. So humans were doing something interesting, you know, thousands of years before we were civilized, we were still participating in ritualistic yeah, ceremonies. Yeah, some ritual to bring, to bring something higher to us or connect us to it. That's my favorite about everything I find. Yeah. Uh, now to bring us forward a little bit to ancient Greece, um, there is this port city of Greece called Eleusis. Um, and I think that's where we actually get the term Eleusive. Mm. But don't quote me on that. <laughs> they just Too sound late. similar. Already and, quoted. I will yeah. Google it later. <laughs> cool. Um, but at this site was a um, a temple constructed to Demeter, and within the temple took place were these these mysteries. They're referred to as the Greek myth- mysteries, but um, they were shrouded in secrecy. Um, the mysteries promised immortality um, and a quote to use from the book. If you die before you die, you won't die when you die, which is actually an inscription mm. on St. Paul's monastery. So in Greek. So this is, Very you know, interesting. I feel a rabbit hole coming on. Me too. Yes. Good rabbit hole. Um, but yeah, you were actually threatened with death for talking about anything that took place during these ceremonies. Um, and they, you know, attracted the likes of Plato, um, who else? Pindar, who was a poet in ancient Greece and Sophocles, who was another, uh, playwright. So some large names. Um, I think also Aristotle was an initiate of the mysteries and, um, some other large names in Greek. So did they write about, so obviously you just said that you'd be killed, but did anybody write about any of this? Mm -hmm. Any? They did. They Oh, they God. wrote about the mysteries using, yeah, and I have some other quotes, but they wrote about the mysteries using some very vague terminology. Um, so Plato wrote about the mysteries, and he said that uh, he experienced blessed sight and vision in a state of perfection. He described the mysteries that Eleusis, Eleusis as the holiest of mysteries. Um, so that was Plato's blessed sight and vision of perfection during these um, this ritual. Um, then Pindar, who was... Tripping. Exactly, right? Our, immediately. Um, I'm like, you took something from the woods and you saw <laughs> some shit. <laughs> um, and then Pindar, who is considered one of the greatest poets of ancient Greece, wrote that blessed is he who has seen these things before he goes beneath the hollow earth. For he understands the end of mortal life and the beginning of a new life given of God. So, again, seeing things at this this ceremony, um, what they were seeing, 
I guess can't quite be put into words or they're not allowed to put into words. Um, and then the last quote I have is from Sophocles who was a playwright. Um, he said, thrice blessed are these among men who after beholding these rites go down to Hades only for them is their life after death. All the rest will suffer an evil lot. So he's now saying that if you don't go to Eleusis and take part in the mysteries, you will not receive afterlife. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's pretty. Well, that old. makes sense for <laughs> reincarnation, though. If it's just like, okay, if you if you want this eternity, you're going to oh. have to learn these lessons. So if you don't get an afterlife, to me, don't quote me on this. Um, what I was hearing was that you'll be reincarnated again and you have to learn gotcha. the lessons. Mm-hmm. So gotcha. that makes sense. Because okay. even if you had an afterlife, whether you're damned to hell or damned to heaven, you can't. Like, those are still both coined afterlives. Mm -hmm. So by him saying you don't get an afterlife, that means you come back and try again. Yeah. Is what I got from it. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. I didn't didn't piece that together the first time, but that does definitely make sense. Mm -hmm. That's what I love about learning stuff on our podcast. And that's why I say I tree branch all the time because I'm like, oh, this just came in fresh, fresh from the up above. (laughs) What do you think about this, guys? (laughs) But again, that's just what I heard. So I wanted to... Let my voices get the microphone for a minute. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, and it's funny that you said that it definitely sounds like they're taking psychedelics because that is also the um, the position of Brian as he's researching this. And there's an extremely strong, I guess, kind of evidence for that because the Greeks were really good at growing wheat um, or barley. I think they're the same plant anyway. But... Um, and one of the funguses of wheat is called ergot, which is where we get LSD from. So, you know, the uh-huh. Greeks being, yeah, the Greeks being, the Greeks. you know, ancient, <laughs> the Greeks, exactly. Um, you know, being ancient cultivars of wheat, they either wouldn't have had the ability to, you know, take care of this fungus, or they would have purposefully cultivated the fungus for use in this ceremony. Um, and in fact, the women who initiated the mysteries, because it was only allowed to be women, it's not like the church of today where men run it, but um, the women who initiated these mysteries were also the very same people who cultivated the fields and brewed the sacred drink that would be consumed at the ritual, which is actually referred to as kukaeon. I hope I'm pronouncing that right as well. That's a Greek word. Um, but the the ingredients were said for that drink were said to have come from Demeter and did include barley in particular. Um, now I don't think the full ingredient list was ever procured because it you know probably died with ancient Greece. But uh, we do know that barley was one of the ingredients, and we do know that the women who were brewing the concoction for the ceremony were the same ones that were cultivating the wheat fields which a very common fungus among wheat is, you know, basically LSD, ergot. Um, so there's a very strong suggestion that the, the mysteries were a psychedelic ritual uh, among the Greeks. How could they not be? Mm-hmm. I mean, when you think about everybody else that has their own rituals and all of their, all of their different medicines or whatever they want to do, there's no way, especially that far back when you're that connected to the earth and, living off of the land like that, that you you don't have a ritual or you're not tripping somehow. 
whether, you know, it's just barley or mold on barley or something like that. But it's still it's still cool to go back and just connect how many different people use different substances. Because like in our world today, like, yeah, we're kind of like decriminalizing psychedelics and all that fun stuff. But it still has a weird negative connotation. Like I'm comfortable with explaining why psychedelics help me. But when you think of how this was ritualistic and maybe not everyday life, but you could probably bring it up. Like, I don't see them being like, oh, no, 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 no. We don't talk about the the mold on the barley. That's that's our secret, honey. We don't talk about that. Like, I don't really see that happening. I'm just more curious of like, what were they doing? Like, were, were they worshiping the stars? Were they sacrificing people? Like, that's where my mind goes when we have no idea about these people that predate the civilization or where we think civilization started well like well what the hell are you doing then yeah what was their ritual oriented around i mean you have skulls so you can assume something to do with the dead but what what was actually going on that there's just absolutely no record of and then even the the like drill in the in the head it's like what's mm-hmm. all that about does yeah, how'd they, Were they, how'd like they even drill through their a skull? Yeah, I'm just mm-hmm. like, what are we doing over here? Is it supposed <laughs> to be where we're like fearful human sacrifice or is it like, you know, honoring the dead and this is what we do? Because you even stated that in the other location, like it wasn't used for like daily bathing. Like it seriously mm-hmm. just seemed like it was supremely ceremonial. So, yeah, I definitely feel a rabbit hole going on. Absolutely. Um, and then the... The mysteries of Greece, there's, I suppose, several of them. There's one that I had brought up a little bit ago called um, the Cult of Dionysus. And then there were mysteries surrounding Dionysus, which were the same type of ceremonies involving a a ritual consumption of wine, um, followed by some form of ceremony that was kept extremely secret. But the the mysteries of Dionysus kind of bleed into the same time period and the same type of ritual that early paleo Christians would have practiced. Um, so the, the gospel of John, which I think was the first gospel written of the Bible was written in such a way that it would appeal directly to members of the cult of Dionysus. Uh, because it was you know, written completely in Greek, and the language that was used was strikingly similar to that of the language used surrounding um, Dionysus and his um, mythology ceremonies. Um, I'm trying to think of the best word to use, but the, the mythologies and ceremonies surrounding Dionysus. Um, so one of the, uh, the scenes described in uh, the Gospel of John several of the scenes described in the gospel of John are almost verbatim. Some of the same scenes that are used in a play written by Euripides called the bouquet. Um, and it's more or less the greatest tribute to Dionysus that we have in modernity. Um, but one of the examples and one of the scenes from both of those texts is the turning of water into wine, both Jesus and both Dionysus were capable of turning large amounts of water into wine um, as almost a type of party trick. Um, <laughs> the, nice party. <laughs> right? Um, 
The second example would be the, uh, the son of God in the quote-unquote lap of the father. Now, lap is a very kind of crucial word in that bit because the way that um, the Greeks described where Dionysus was located, um, um, Zeus, or coming from on Zeus is, it's a very particular word that means like below the navel and above the knee. They didn't quite have nap, but it's like a very weird particular description. Um, so that's why the word lap being in both of those descriptions is very kind of important. Um, and then another pretty damning example for the, the intentional, um, writing of Jesus to kind of reflect Dionysus by John um, was that Jesus was adorned in a crown of thorns and wore um, purple garments or a purple cloak in particular, um, which were also Dionysus was commonly depicted with a crown of thorns. Um, I can't remember from which particular plant um, and then also wearing a, a purple garment or cloak. Um, so between those things and a couple other looser connections, um, it, it would be hard for anyone reading the Gospel of John, a Greek speaker reading the Gospel of John in the year, I don't know, like 100 AD or so, um, to not immediately draw connections to the mythology surrounding Dionysus. So the hypothesis then is that John wrote his Gospel particularly to apply to late, Greek um, cultists, cultists, um, to bring them into the Christian church as the Christian church was trying to establish itself. Um, and that kind of hypothesis is actually not, not new. It's not unique to this book. It's been around for some time that the early church was, or that the early church was created to appeal to Greeks and members of Greek religion and even um, a quote I have here, which I thought was really freaking interesting while I was reading this book was um, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote a paper in 1950s titled the influence of mystery religions on Christianity. And he's quoted saying Christianity was greatly influenced by the mystery religions, both from a ritual and a doctrinal angle. So this isn't, uh, a new hypothesis that's just come about. Um, but in his paper, he will claim that a, a natural and unconscious process was conditioned by the contact with older religions and the general trend of religion at the time. Um, but the most damning evidence that exists that this was not an accident was that the sacraments of Dionysus and Jesus are one in the same the body and blood of Jesus and the body and blood of Dionysus were, were two sacraments that are almost indistinguishable from each other. And the, the, the ceremony of mass that the church would depict in, in early church was completely indistinguishable or almost indistinguishable from the ceremonies of um, the mysteries that would be depicted surrounding Dionysus. So someone living at that time could very easily draw a parallel between the two religions. Um, and with the, the Greek cults being outlawed by the church, um, you could get on board with the church a little bit easier if you're seeing direct correlations between the religion that you're already following.
Um, and I wanted to bring up some stuff about the art as well, but I uh, completely forgot to take notes on that. But there is, there's, there's <laughs> art that exists. Yeah. There's art that exists beneath the Vatican um, in these things called, ref- oh, I don't want to pronounce this wrong, refrigeriums, refrigeriums, um, which were basically early paleo-Christian masses that took place in hiding from the government um, because Christianity was also outlawed until like 390 AD. Um, but there's, there's these, these paintings and these reliefs on the ceilings of these refrigerums that are identical to what we would see in Greek art surrounding uh, the mysteries of Dionysus and the mysteries that Eleusis, what surviving evidence exists of the mysteries of Eleusis. Interesting. So basically what you're saying the book is saying is that Dionysus was Jesus. That, yeah, I got to, I can't remember what chapter it is in the book. And I don't think, Oh, actually, well, no, I'm not going to bring it up now. But um, yeah, Dionysus is Jesus, or Jesus is Dionysus reincarnate. Um, it wasn't an accidental correlation between those two mythologies. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a lot of what the book tries to kind of nail down with objective, you know, non-opinionated evidence is that mm-hmm. the church, church wasn't an accident. You know, mm-hmm. there's there there's a concentrated effort um, in constructing it. So they wanted to pull the people who were following the Greek religions over to the new religion they wanted, and so they just took their beliefs and put them on this new Bible and this new religion and said, see, you can follow us because it's the same thing, basically. Exactly, yes. Um, Is that before they killed you if you didn't convert? (laughs) <laughs> probably because like, I, I mean I, time, yeah. <laughs> yeah. right because i know i mean you could get into like the holy wars and the you know believe believe us or die stuff and we won't even bring up all the churches that did that because it's not just the catholic church i mean every but they have every that. religion's done yeah. it um they just have i think the biggest body count if you look back in history with like how far back they go um but i've heard since you're like, Jesus is this person, like there's so many stories. Like, have you heard, have you done a rabbit hole on Zoroastrianism? No, I wish it keeps coming up for me. So I probably, it's probably a sign I should, but, uh, <laughs> so, yeah. so my friend, my friend and I, like, we wanted to like go back to the very beginning to see where everybody got their theologies from basically so we can't we found derivatives of zoroastrianism in every like religion that we looked up um but then when you're talking about like how they mirrored everything so closely to get followers into christianity like that's just a normal thing that they would do like if you would look at like the first editions of stuff they're like oh see like it's totally fine it's like about you and about being nice to people like just come sit just come sit over here it's fine and they're like okay well you know everybody's doing it so i guess i'll go do it and then like the next book comes out and the next thing and like the next generation of kids like you see it's like this huge plan over time. Like it's not going to take one generation to infiltrate. Like something, you know, is happening over time with all of this. So when you're, um, again, talking about Jesus being this person or this story being pulled, I always wonder, like, there's so many like lost writings of Jesus and, oh, this happened and, oh, this happened. But at the end of the day, like none of us were there, so we'll never know. So I'm still 
really curious of how many false stories of Jesus are out there to go along with a certain agenda. And then like what are actually true. Like I know what my truth is for Jesus and I don't really need to speak on that here. Um, But it is really interesting that his story, not just in what we're discussing now, but his story matches so many things, so many different theologies that when you really stop to just be open-minded and look at it, it's kind of mind-blowing. And if you are a part of a church, it's not necessarily like the church's fault that you're in now because I don't like see any members of the church now being like, ha, 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 we got them, boss. You know, like I'm not saying it's like that. Um, but really just kind of opening your mind and being able to swallow all that information and be like, holy shit, I've kind of been duped. Like this book is supremely freaking edited. Why is everybody telling me only to read this one? Like, do you remember when you had that moment? Like, do you, cause I consistently have that moment. Like even when I'm already broken and I'm open and I'm still reading and going into stuff, I'm just like, oh, come on. This reminds me of this. This reminds me of this. Oh, like I'll, I'll have like five books next to each other when I'm going down my little rabbit hole. I'll find a word in one and I'll have to go look up the etymology and that etymology just went into something else that I didn't even know existed. Mm-hmm. So I really like the expansion in it, but um, it's really trippy. What you brought today is super trippy. And I like I have a whole page of notes of what you've been talking about the whole time. Yeah, lots oh. of lots of rabbit holes. We're going to have to travel. <laughs> I didn't bring up um, the fact that paleo Christianity would have been a psychedelic Eucharist. Um, the the wine of Dionysus was almost certainly psychedelic, uh, from you know the accounts, the few accounts that I read, um, to other texts that we have from the Greeks. The wine of Dionysus was almost certainly psychedelic. It was described not as wine; it was described using the Greek word pharmakon which translates to drug. That's where we get the word pharmacy. Um, So even though the Greeks had a word for wine, they still described this particular wine as a drug. Um, And with the early Christians, the Paleo-Christians inheriting this this ritual, um, there's actually a hypothesis proposed by, oh, whose name was it? Um, That Carl Ruck. He wrote a book quite similar to the one that Brian's writing now, um, but it was much earlier and much less well-received. He was pretty much disgraced from the scientific community at the time. But he proposed that the Greek name for Jesus, which is Iosus, I-E-S-O-U-S, again, can't pronounce it very well, um, but the, the Greek name for Jesus comes from the word Ios which is another word for drug um, Hmm. in Greek and the Greek word iatros is the word for doctor or drug man. So Carl Ruck proposed that the word for Jesus comes from, or is is meant to be the word drug man. Um, So it wouldn't have been, you know, too strange that if, or too far of a leap to say if the Greeks, envisioned Jesus as a drug man, then his rituals were probably not as um, bland as they are today. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And it makes sense though, that the um, drinking of wine as part of the ceremony, when you like the communion, 
right, is, you know, no longer has a psychedelic or whatever, but it makes sense that there's that ceremony because it, it used to have that psychedelic. ritual. Mm-hmm. And I wish that, I mean, I didn't plan on bringing notes for this, but now I wish I would have because um, there's so many things that I can't name that I, I read articles where people did the research for me and they'll tell you in each part of the ritual like what origin that part of it comes from because mm-hmm. it's so easy to be like oh it's christianity like they made up all their own stuff and they didn't they took from a lot mm-hmm. before then yeah and you know even um oh what is it uh the library of alexandria like if you think mm-hmm. about if that was never destroyed and what's actually in there and what actually still exists, like what is left over is actually in the yeah. Vatican. So, yeah. I mean, I don't know what year it's going to be when they just quit hiding everything from everybody. But you're like you bringing up like the rooms with all of the stuff that they're hiding underneath. We, mm-hmm. I, I bring up it anytime that I can. I'm like, you do know that the Vatican has like a room of all of our ancient knowings and it's our stuff. Like it's ours. Yeah. They don't have any right to keep it yeah. from us. It's mm-hmm. all of humanities. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Did you, did you ever watch anything on the Dead Sea Scrolls? No, that's on Hulu, right? It's, I mean, anywhere you want to look at it, I'm pretty sure, yeah, it's on Hulu. And then I know the guy who does Expedition Unknown, he went to like where the Dead Sea Scrolls are being held. But I didn't know if like you and your own little rabbit hole have ever done anything with the Sumerian tablets, Dead Sea Scrolls, anything like that. No, I've honestly been really bad about watching stuff lately too. I keep getting recommended different things to watch. It's okay. Everything finds you in your time. Yeah, they really do. Mm -hmm. So how you're like, this just keeps getting recommended to me over and over. Like I usually do like a rule of three Mm -hmm. and I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. if you, if I hear it three different times, like I know it's for me because I'll grab anything, but I literally have post-its on me at all times now because I will get referred. Like for instance, I was in a TJ Maxx one time and I had a Beatles shirt on and it was just Abbey Road cover. And this guy walked up to me, like didn't even introduce himself and immediately he was just like oh hey um saw you wearing a Beatles shirt check out the police album synchronicities this track this time it literally like sounds exactly like this Beatles song on this album this track this time that's weird and I he literally like came up out of nowhere and I was yeah. I was very open at the time so I like I'll take any universal sign as long as it was positive and that's what it was like I was like okay like music speaks to me so I'm surprised I'm not surprised someone's walking up to me and telling me to listen to music because I'm going to go listen to it. I went home immediately and exactly what he told me to go listen to would have been like another rabbit hole that I needed. It was like another piece of my puzzle. So when I'm like, what's Zoroastrianism? You're like, I don't know. I keep hearing it though. Maybe I'll go do it. Like, dude, I totally get it. And again, that's why I have post-its because you just, it again, like when you vibrate higher, you have all of this, you're ready for it, you know, and it's just going to come mm-hmm. and circle back around. So it's just kind of cool to see, see what comes to you and what doesn't. I've always been interested in the Dead Sea Scrolls and I brought it up because I saw a documentary that said that when the Dead, Dead Sea Scrolls came up and people were trying to buy them, um, the Vatican was trying to buy them for an astronomical amount of money to, again, put them, hide them. Hide them. Put them away. Yeah, because it literally, it makes their book look like trash. They're like, oh, well, that predates you. It doesn't really make sense. But it's really cool because they'll break down, like, 
they'll get into the mindset of the Dead Sea Scrolls and the people that were like they knew they were going to be slaughtered. So like they wrote on like a copper scroll, like how did this friar get a copper scroll? That's really expensive back then. And then they had, I think it was papyri paper. I think I'm saying papyrus? that right. Papyrus? I can't remember. It's papyrus something paper <laughs> that they wrote on. And since it was by the sea, that's why a lot of them were eroded away. But then there's another uh-huh. article that I wrote where the people that hid the Dead Sea Scrolls were actually members of the Essenes. Have you done any research on the Essenes? I'm going to make you the Essenes. I'm going to make make you a post it. I'm going to make you a post it because it's just really, really fun um, to if you I've always believed if you want to study religion, you should go study war because every time a war starts, the first thing they go to is um, obviously they're going to cut off your supplies. But if they're going to take you over, they're going to go for your churches, your art, your religion, your education. All of that Mm -hmm. stuff and anything I ever, that's all they went to immediately. So instead of, like I told you, I studied religion like right after I dropped out of college and I was like, oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. But let's go back. Well, when I tried to go back religiously, there were a lot of blocks. But when I tried to go back geographically and war wise, everybody wanted to talk about it. Like, even if you go back and to, like, how the Druids were displaced and all of that, it just really, really paints a picture of the suppression of human consciousness as a whole. And how every time, like, it's the same, it's the same stuff through and through. Like, everything that you said, like, we're all conscious beings, we're all connected to the same thing, just said in a completely different language. So, I love, I love this book, The Immortality Key. I didn't even know it existed until I talked to you. So I love what you brought on. It's probably going to be in my book collection now. (laughs) Right. My husband's going to kill me if I buy any more books. So I'm going to try to Amazon (laughs) it when he's not at home. (laughs) Stuff like that. Um, But I also, um, are you done with the book? Because I'm about to ask you another question that completely derails. Okay. No, that's totally fine. I only brought so much because I know that I could spend way too long talking about the contents (laughs) of it. There's just so much in there. But um, those were a couple of points that I thought were particularly interesting. No, I think they're great. And I'm mm-hmm. definitely going to add it to my book list. So I appreciate you bringing that on. Um, my next topic question for you is um, psychedelics. We obviously talked about earlier how, you know, they helped you in your way. But you have a massive amount of knowledge about it. And I am a big, big fan of your videos where you teach people to do it safely Um, Whether it's buying like a drug test on Amazon, which in this day and age you have to. There's so many synthetics out there. It's ridiculous. What do you mean by drug test? Like the only ones I know about is like when my mom threatened to drug test me as a teenager because I, you know, was into like ghosts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not the kind you're talking about. This is this is basically where like if I wanted to go and I wanted to buy acid from somebody that I don't know. Like oh, a, like testing if yeah, the so drug you, is safe to use. So you, well, not just safe to use, but see what's in it because fentanyl is in everything now, right? Right. So yeah. it's, it's like this it little, or... yeah, people cut their products, make it with a bunch of bullshit. When I say synthetics, I mean synthetics, like some crazy third, fourth like generation guy. Or well, you don't really know. the. But I'm, that's what it's testing for. It's testing for mainly fentanyl is what I'm gotcha. what I'm looking for. Um, <laughs> He's going to be able to educate you more. Yeah. I'm just like, there's <laughs> fucking fentanyl on everything now. And okay. that needs to be a PSA because it's so, everywhere. Yeah. So I don't even. So I'm not a drug kind well, of person. Let Vinny yeah. take over. So tell He's me, about to tell yeah, you. Tell me. Tell me what you're talking about. Sure. Man. Yeah. So like um, she said, you know, these are these are tests for your drugs, not like test if you were on drugs 
obviously obviously if you're going to take something from someone even if it's someone that you know um you want to make sure that it's what you're ingesting is what you're intending to ingest because even with something like i mean mushrooms are kind of easy but like with acid um you can't know that it's actually lsd on there um it could be something that's called an n-bomb um or or an n-b-o-m-e um don't ask me to say the whole name of it offhand but N-bombs mimic the effects of LSD, but they can be deadly even at a completely standard dose. Um, so you want to make sure that you're, you're not getting that. So you purchase these kits, um, and I actually have a link on my link tree, which will hopefully be in the description of this episode. But, um, <laughs> yes, it will. <laughs> yeah, so I have, I have a link to a website called Test Kit Plus, um, and they sell really fucking easy-to-use, cheap, I mean, might be like 30 bucks, um, test kits where you just, you take a little corner of your acid square, you don't need a lot, um, put it into a, a clean dish and just one drop of this compound on it, and it will react according to what's actually on the paper. Um, so the one that I have um, is called the Ehrlich test. It will react purple if you actually have LSD. If it doesn't react purple, then you don't have LSD. Um, there's several others that test for things. They test for psilocybin. Um, they test, you know, you can test cocaine, literally like any drug um but using some of them in accordance with each other there's an Ehrlich and then there's a oh I can't remember the name of the other one but using them in pair you can test DMT to find out which type of DMT you have um because there's NN DMT and then there's 5-MeO DMT and one of them I believe it's 5-MeO is it's not the same type of DMT trip that you want um you want to have the NN DMT that's a much more pure DMT experience and a much more positive DMT experience, um, at least according to Psyched Substance on YouTube, who I've been watching for years. Um, if you haven't seen him, definitely watch Psyched Substance. He's fucking fantastic. Um, you said Psyched yeah, so Substance? Psyched, like you're psyched up for something. Yeah. Um, and then Substance. He's this dude from, well, now he lives in Canada, but I think he started in New Zealand, and he just, he's taken everything. <laughs> I mean, he's <laughs> taken basically everything. Um, and he talks about, you know, it's kind of, I guess, what inspired me to do my psychedelic safety content is because he talks a lot about how to be doing these compounds safely and, uh, like, conscientiously to know, you know, what you're getting, what type of experience you're getting into, how to do that safely. I mean, obviously, he talks about set and setting, which is something that gets buried into the ground with psychedelics, um, just repeated so many fucking times, but it's because it's so important. Mm-hmm. Um because these aren't, these aren't normal drugs, you know, they're extremely subjected to the user. And I mean, literally the difference between a, a good trip and I won't say bad trip because bad trip has some connotations with it, but an unsavory trip, um, is standing versus sitting even, I mean, it can be something that simple. So understanding what we can about psychedelics, obviously there's so much unknown about psychedelics, but understanding what you can about psychedelics from the experience of others. And there's even as of recently been research that's now finally able to actually be conducted on psychedelics after 50 fucking years of them being banned. Um, you know, it's, it's important to know what you're getting into because it's not like just, you know, something like cocaine, you know, with, with, with that, you're, you're pretty much always going to get the same thing. But with, with these compounds, it's, it's an entirely different animal. So it's, it's literally to, to mind altering. 
Like no, yeah, for literally. anybody <laughs> listening that's like cocaine and acid, I'm like, cocaine, you're just going to talk really fast to your friends and probably yeah. not eat for 72 hours if it's not laced with any bullshit. But yeah, acid, exactly. I mean, like you're altering your perspective, your thought patterns, your everything. And you're right. You can have an unsavory experience or you can have something that just seems really transcendental. So, mm-hmm. um, this guy reminds me of, have you ever watched Hamilton's Pharmacopia? Yes. So I started Hamilton's Pharmacopia. Um, that shit was so crazy. He is, he inspired me to even change like I had already had a pretty open mind about it, like as far as like decriminalizing it and letting people like decide. Mm-hmm. But he brought up something really cool where he was like, what if we taught kids about the chemistry and the molecular perspective of these chemicals and how they actually interact with your body instead of just doing a dare program and f- giving yeah. everybody fear? Because like feeding them fear and not telling them like I I don't blame you you shouldn't bring a chemist in and teach kids how to make LSD that's not what I'm saying at all (laughs) but if like you're teaching them (laughs) right like if if they could find it in this day and age you don't need someone doing it but if they could just like explain the molecular breakdown of it and what it would actually do in your body and what it grabs onto in your body and what chemical what chemical it does so at the end of the day like your life is your life you might not be able to do it at home when you're 16 you might do it when you move out because you had parents that were like, you can't do anything, right? Don't do it. And then um, you get out and you have somebody give it to you. You don't test it. You take it because you're just, you're bad out of hell basically. So I, I think the, the importance of talking about this safety first over and over until you like beat a dead horse in it is really important because you also have to understand like the mind of people that are curious. They're really young kids. Mm -hmm. Then it's not like I'm, I'm ever like telling anybody to do any of this, but I understood where I was when I was younger and I wanted to have those expansive moments with technically illegal chemicals. But because like I did mushrooms, like I had the same experience that you did where I was like, well, there's so much more out there. And like, that was my path. There's plenty of people out there that will never touch it. It's just not their thing. You know, you meet people out there all the time. That's like, I've never smoked pot in my life and I'm 65 years old. And I'm like, no time, but the present, bro, like no freaking time, (laughs) but the present. But there are people out there, like it's not in their life path, which is fine. But for us that are really into exploring the higher forms of consciousness, whether it be through psychedelics, meditation, breath work, whatever your path is, um, I really enjoy the respectful and responsible culture that's coming out of psychedelics versus everybody just trying to treat it like we're all just trying to trip fucking balls and not do a goddamn thing. Because I don't think that that's the point either. I think there really has been another shift into the responsibility and the connectedness with a higher conscience consciousness that you can have with these substances. So people like you, people like Hamilton and then psych substance that now I'm going to go check out. Thank you. Um, I'm just really, really happy that that is the new culture that's being born is like, how can we all be connected and help each other and, you know, elevate and ascend. Yeah, exactly. How can you do it in a way that's, that's not just taking it to, like you said, trip out and just see some pretty colors and like take it, you know, responsibly with an intention going in. Um, that's something else that I harp on a lot is that you, if you're going to be doing these compounds with, you know, the intent of expanding your mind or getting something out of the experience, you should be setting an intention before you actually ingest anything. 
Um, and that intention can just be, you know, extremely simple is to, you want to, uh, what's, I can't come up with a simple example right now. Everything I just came up with. Just connect with your higher self. More complex. Yeah, exactly. Just yeah. to be more connected basically. Yeah. So something as simple as being more connected is, is better than going in with no intention. Um, you don't have to be going in every time to learn the mysteries of the universe. Um, but just to even, you know, gain more perspective is something that's, that's good enough going in opposed to just like, Oh, he's a fucking fool. Let me just pop a couple back. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, and I think you guys are making a really good point about, um, not, um, assuming that just because they're children or people are young or whatever the case may be that, they don't understand or appreciate what life is bringing towards them. Like I think about um, the sex conversation, right? When I was growing up, the sex conversation was you don't do it because God said no. Yeah. And that was my safe sex conversation. Well, that's, that doesn't work. Right. It's not, it's they have questions. They're going to go find it somewhere else. Right. And then they're going to, they're going to talk about it with their friends and their friends are going to give them misinformation. Same thing with the drug conversation. And the, the best information they might get from someone is use a condom. If you're going to do it, that might be the best information they get, right? Not all the other things that really need to be said to them. Same thing with drugs is your parents are going to say, you, no, you don't do it. It's illegal. Just say no. Life. Right. It's, it's a gateway illegal. drug. Which right. And trauma is the only gateway drug. Marijuana yeah. is not. <laughs> and PSA so of the day. The only the only information they might get from their friends, right, is here try this. Mm-hmm. Right. And Which, so I mean peer pressure is a really big part of not only sex culture but psychedelic culture and absolutely. drug culture in general. So And so having having adults who know something about sex, drugs and rock and roll, right? Have those real conversations <laughs> with I, I'm actually certified. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Having real conversations with um, impressionable minds about, okay, I get that you might want to experiment with things like passion, might want to experiment with things like mind alteration. Let me tell you about why there's healthy fears that need to be in place. Well, I think the biggest thing to talk about, whether a kid understands it or not, because you have to think about the immaturity level with a kid. Like, Mm -hmm. you tell me something now, Mm -hmm. and I don't have that um, feeling of immortality at my age anymore. No. Like, I really don't. And a child wouldn't either. Yeah. Well, a child is immortal. Right. So, like, you tell them something, what the hell does it matter? Because, like, you're paying for everything. They live under Mm -hmm. your roof. They listen to you up until a point, and then, yeah, that curiosity comes in. But, again, like, me, somebody telling me this conversation at 16, 17, and 18, you would literally have to be walking the perfect line for me to actually take your, take what you're saying as good advice and use it. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not going to judge where the information comes from. I'm just going to appreciate that it came through some vessel that I can understand. Mm-hmm. But when I put myself back in that, like, 16, 17, 8-year-old, 18-year-old mind again you're you're taking on something that could literally stunt the rest of your life and that's not fear-mongering that's us getting down to the molecular structure of the substance you're putting in your body and what Mm -hmm. it does to the chemicals in your brain and that needs to be explained and that needs to be explained Mm -hmm. it needs to be explained that you know your brain really doesn't fully develop into adulthood until like around 25 and they say Mm -hmm. like women are 25 and men are technically 35 that's where they're like please marry me at 21 Mm -hmm. and guys are like whoa i have three girlfriends Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. so i mean like just talking about different chemicals there but when you think about 
okay, you have a kid that starts taking acid and doing a bunch of drugs at 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Yeah, like what what potentials are you cutting off because you're not getting the full spectrum because mm -hmm. you don't have the full picture. Mm -hmm. So again, that's why I really credit the new culture coming up with being safe. Like if you're going to do this, do this, but understand like, dude, if this is what age you're trying to do this at, don't do it. Your brain is still developing. Mm -hmm. You don't need, you don't need to know about the ancient secrets of consciousness at 16 through psychedelics. Right. But if you just want to do like yoga and breath work, that's freaking cool. Mm -hmm. You can do it. All the things that people can do on psychedelics, it's been proven in science, even through biowell technology, that you can access all of the dimensions, all of the frequencies that you are tripping balls about. You can do it sober. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's fun to take a substance and have the effects do it immediately. But how great is it that you don't have to do a substance to access all of those things that you love so much during your trip. Cause that was my favorite part about mushrooms. I was like, Oh my God, I would love to feel like this all the time. And then I'm like, well, I don't need, I don't want to be high my whole life. Like I think it'd be yeah. cool to enjoy sobriety. That'd be cool. Um, but then like microdosing is a super big thing now. So I know that you have 10 times more experience with microdosing than I do. So can you let us in on like, how'd you get into microdosing? And how would you recommend someone who doesn't have the psychedelic background as you do, but they understand from like a mental health perspective, like they don't want to take these antidepressants anymore. They understand that there is medicine in the mushrooms that they can integrate into their daily life where they're not tripping, but they can microdose. Yeah. So microdosing, especially recently has become like extremely popular. Um, and it's, for those of you who don't know, they're listening. Uh, microdosing is just the practice of taking a sub psychedelic dose of a psychedelic compound. So with mushrooms, that would be anything below about half a gram, depending on the potency. Um, and with LSD, it's kind of really hard to gauge, but just take a super small amount, like a quarter or less than of a tab. Um, but the, the effects of microdosing are not a hundred percent understood and well known um, among the scientific community because a lot of the information we have is really hearsay from people like me that microdose. Um, but as of, you know, psychedelics no longer being scheduled like they used to be, research can now be done as to what's actually going on. But a lot of the claims surrounding microdosing and its effects from people that try it, much like myself, um, are among other things, you know, lower rates of depression and anxiety, um, in some anecdotes, it can even be said to treat things like PTSD, um, as well as for me, I started microdosing actually um, as a way to boost up my own productivity. Um, with LSD, I always had noticed that you can't sit still when you're on it. You just got to be up and doing something, um, whatever that something is. Um, and so I would take like a half a tab, which isn't quite a sub-psychedelic dose, but um, a half a tab just to kind of force myself to get up and do stuff. Um, and then I came into mushroom microdosing because mushrooms are a little bit more natural than LSD, even though LSD does still come from nature. But um, mushroom microdosing has a lot of the same effects, but it's a little bit easier to get your dosages. Um, so 100 milligrams, 200 milligrams, whatever it would be that works for you particularly, um, you want to be taking these sub psychedelic doses on a pretty regular schedule. So not every day because your, your tolerance for psychedelics shoots up 
crazy fast, but every two days, three days, four days, whatever it is, um, stick to a schedule of actually ingesting that same, um, that same dosage and, you know, kind of see what kind of effects you get. If you're trying to take it to help with anxiety, um, you know, do the same thing that you would do if you're taking a full psychedelic dose is set that intent every time that you take them. Um, and if you want a really good resource, I have one. The name is Schedule 35 if you live in the United States or Canada. Um, they specialize in microdosing, um, and they actually give these pre-measured out capsules uh, of psilocybin cubensis mushrooms. The strain they use in particular is the Golden Teacher strain, which is an extremely common um, and popular strain. But um, the, the idea is to be taking them on a semi-regular basis, so every couple of days. Um, and from my own experiences with microdosing mushrooms, at a point, because I only had five test drives, but um, at a point I was almost incapable of not getting work done. I did it during school, um, probably around midterms, so not even that you know long ago. But um, it, it got to a point where you know I was I was making TikTok videos, working on schoolwork, doing things around my house like every single day during you know the period of time that I was microdosing out. Now you know I've ran out, but um, so I can testify that like the effects of microdosing are real, um, whether or not there's a ton of research on them. There are a ton of people and there's a ton of, you know, anecdotal accounts of people that do microdosing that have effects that are, you know, positive effects from them. Um, whether it be, you know, just productivity, like I was hoping to get out of it or whether it be actual mental health things such as, you know, lower states of anxiety and depression. Um, there's a whole lot unknown about the benefits of microdosing and using it as a medicine as opposed to really placebo pills when you get into antidepressants. There's a lot of people that, you know, don't see results from those pills. And so they, they hear about microdosing and they're like, well, it's still kind of illegal, but some people take that leap and see some pretty great things. So yeah, I'm, microdosing I'm is. happy where psychedelics is coming back in. Um, Mind Medicine is a company out of Canada that I've been watching um, just because I like what they're trying to bring into the United States when everything gets decriminalized and, However, you know, big pharma can figure out how to make their money so then they can tell everybody that it's socially acceptable to microdose. You know, we'll have a day like that where we're at with marijuana right now, which is super annoying because we're all like, we already know that it's medicine, you dumbasses. So, um, again, like me just throwing my two cents in randomly, I'm super happy where it's going. Um, I've watched clinical trials of microdosing. I've watched clinical trials of them using ketamine. You know, like all these different things that people do. And the number one thing that whether people with PTSD, depression, anxiety, all all of the mental health spectrum, they've all talked about this clarity that they get from using this plant medicine over and over and over. Um, and they're not addicted to it. It doesn't have any bad side effects. They don't take another pill because the other pill had another side effect from the other pill like you know that just volcano down where you start with one prescription you go back you got three to five to ten to fifteen none of that happens and it actually gives the power back to the patient which is one of the most powerful things I've ever heard from anybody getting help is because like I I was recommended uh, antidepressants when I was like I think 19 or 20 
And I immediately felt dependent on the medical industry. I felt dependent on my doctor. Um, I didn't really like it. And at that time, one of my friends gave me and ate the shrooms and was like, you just, just take this, you know? Um, <laughs> and I, I'd been around it enough. It wasn't like I was just like completely ignorant of what mushrooms were, but I knew I had already known, like, even from, like I studied, um, indigenous culture, even from the time when I was a kid, I've always been very, very connected to it, loved it, honored it, really wanted to understand it. So I knew that they did like vision quests and they had like funky tobacco and all of that fun stuff. So when someone gave me mushrooms, I instantly got a vision of like indigenous cultures using it to like go connect with higher conscience. So my intention was to connect with the God that I knew, not the God that everybody told me was God. Right. So, um, in that moment I realized that, you know, this medicine was free and it was on the ground, you know, like God made this for us. This isn't bad. This isn't illegal. And I didn't feel dependent on it. And I certainly didn't feel like I had to like go and get refills and feel bad and have (laughs) random side effects. Like, my heart goes out to anybody that's on the fence of, you know, like the, the things that I'm doing aren't working in this big boom in spirituality and just plant medicine as a whole. Um, we're going to Costa Rica in the next couple of years because we want to go do an, like an ayahuasca retreat. But it's not just ayahuasca. It's like seven days and four different types of indigenous plant medicine. And I'm like just now like trying to stay away from McDoubles and sweet tea if I can, (laughs) because like when I get there, I really want to be cleared out for the experience and to be able to connect with that medicine. Um, We had another guy come on here. He studied with the Shipibo tribe in the Amazon and he's like a ridiculously cool healer. And he gave really good examples on what you should do to prepare yourself to introduce yourself to the medicine. Um, and like how much time you need before, how much time you need with it. And then like after he said, there's a lot of people that, you know, really do force their own spiritual awakening and dark night of the soul because they run away to Costa Rica for a week, do a retreat and come back to their corporate life thinking that, you know, you can have this huge expansion in your mind, body and soul, and then come back into this facade that you've been living that, you know, is a trash panda and you have to break it down and build up to what you're authentically supposed to be. So um, it's just really, really powerful in a lot of people's journeys. And I, without telling children to do it, because I do not believe that children should do psychedelics <laughs> or mushrooms at all, like 18 plus, like even 25 plus um, plant medicine, like I highly recommend to those who are really in those dark states and they need something more than Western medicine. Yeah. And it, you know, to bring up the note of plant medicine, kind of like, coming back to our culture. Um, I can say that um, my girlfriend and I actually just a couple of days ago picked all the dandelions out of our yard because dandelions are really good for your heart um, yes. as opposed to using heart medicine. Um, so, yeah, we actually have a, a, a bucket of dandelion heads sitting ready, waiting to be uh, turned into tea. So, um, do you, tea fucking good. you need to look into dandelion tea is great. Um, you also need to look in what you can do with the leaves of it and the roots of it. Because all three different parts. So I actually have a poster that pulls the whole dandelion apart. And it tells you what parts for like heart medicine. I can't think of what the Mm -hmm. root and the leaves do. But it's all different. Um, I'm so glad that you said that. So last year is when I started like 
I did my garden where I wanted to like make my own herbs and just really hone in on like my own stuff for what I needed for my body. And my husband came in the kitchen and I had my book of plant stuff out and he's like, I'm going to go mow the yard. And I said, no, you're not. I said, you're going to come out there with me and we're going to identify every plant in our backyard. I said, those some bitches have been telling us dandelions are fucked for years. (laughs) I said, and then they sold us the poison for it. I said, I just don't believe anybody anymore. So we're going out and I don't, that's not a weed anymore. I said, that's, that's not a weed. That's not a weed. That's not a weed. These are all, this is all plant medicine in our backyard that we've just been mowing down and going and grabbing ibuprofen. So like now I'm looking into like our own herb garden. We're, you know, foraging stuff from our own yard, which is really small because we're still in the city. Um, I'm looking at, you know, keeping them far past the picking time. You know, you want to make sure you can dry them out, dehydrate them. And then also looking into making our own tinctures because I started making uh, my daughter her own juices. I make her her own medicine um, just because a lot of the chemicals and a lot of her stuff makes her skin react negatively which doesn't make any sense to me that my child should ingest poison because it said doctor recommended on the front like okay i'm looking for shaman recommended because apparently they (laughs) care about my child so we've been making a lot of stuff and it's it's really empowering is probably the best way that i could say it do you feel the same way like when you're picking, you're like oh my gosh i've been duped this is all here for us um, agree with that. We, um, the house that we live in is actually, you know, my father helped us get it. So he stops by sometimes and we let our yard grow. We're not too, you know, great about mowing it. But then as we started to learn about, you know, not only dandelions, but, um, you brought up, you know, throwing out plants and then taking like ibuprofen. There's, uh, prickly leaf lettuce, right? Yes. That can be turned into an actual like painkiller without, you know, literally any side effects. And our yard is chock full of it. So when you said that, you know, you went out with your husband just to say, you know, this is medicine, this is medicine, this is medicine. What's considered weeds, you know, in the, I don't know, the popular sense is all of them are typically medicine. Yes. And they're so like, it is, the earth is literally wants you to have it so bad that it puts it everywhere. In, in you your know? backyard. I mean, literally, yeah. In your backyard and just. I mean, it's impossible to go in without seeing a quote-unquote weed, but then if you identified what plant that was, you'd be like, oh, there's all of these actual health benefits to it. So, um, yeah, I can definitely, you know, connect with that that sentiment of we really do need to be more conscious of, like, which plants we're killing in our yards because some of them can be, you know, extremely beneficial to us. Um, now, granted, there are some that are, like, just straight-up poisonous plants. So those aren't good. But then no, they are, the but that's why, are, yeah, you have to identify them. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You gotta do you gotta um, do your research. You don't want to eat the wrong berry because nobody likes the yeah. ending of <laughs> what's that movie I'm thinking of right now? He eats the wrong berry. Something about is it into the wilderness? Into the wild? I think it's into the wild. The guy goes backpacking and I can't believe you haven't seen this movie, Vinny. You you look like you would love to go backpacking into the wilderness of nothingness. Oh, I absolutely would. We have tentative plans to do that as soon as I graduate. Well, make sure you don't eat the wrong berry. That's all I'm going to say. The guy (laughs) had the book in his hand and everything was so hungry. He ate the wrong berry. He ended up passing away very painfully in the back of a bus on like 
just back backwoods is the only way that I could describe it. Mm -hmm. Um, And a couple years ago, they actually ended up airlifting the bus that he lived in and died in because people were still trying to get back to it and see it because it is like, I'm pretty sure the movie's on Netflix and it's called Into the Wild. I watched it when I was... Was it like more of a reality show? No, it's not a reality show. It's like a whole movie recap of this guy's life. But it was like a real life thing, not like a... Oh, well, reality show is not yes it's based on a true story yeah yeah okay i was like reality show no, is like I where like, we'd be like videoing us right now no i meant like documentary not like oh, a not like it's a, a cinematic release no on like it's cinematic HBO. yeah but it's not on hbo it's not a reality show <laughs> it is a recap of a man's life but it's yeah. not in documentary form okay it is a full-on you just watch it here he is here's a story here's his character here's the lesson you're supposed to get oh he died yeah. The biggest lesson oh, that you get from the movie is um, only, what is it? There's a quote from the movie. It's, um, happiness is only real when shared. And it's mm-hmm. like written mm-hmm. all over it. And it's just talking talking about like your connection and how you affect people and going for your dream, even if people think that you're crazy. And there's a lot of like hidden meanings. And I think it's subjective and you can get whatever you want out of it. But again, like you should watch that movie, Vinny. Absolutely will. Yeah, it is indeed on Netflix. I just checked. So I'll add that to my uh, to watch list whenever I get around to watching things. Sure. I don't I don't blame you. I have a time where I'm like, oh, I'm going to watch stuff. I'm going to like binge watch stuff. And then I'm like, I'm going to read stuff. And then I'm like, no, I'm going to sit in silence. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah, I feel like exactly, I could go yeah. back and forth all day with you and be like, have you heard of this? Have you heard of this? But uh, I'm going to save the listener that for sure, because I will just go down my my own rabbit hole. Um, so uh, I will obviously link your TikTok in the notes, but go ahead and run down that schedule 35 again, because didn't you say you had like a 15% off coupon if yeah, they order through I your do. link tree? Yeah. So if you go through my link tree, there's a, the title of the button is micro dough is the name of the promo code um, for schedule 35. Now. I do get paid to talk about them, but they aren't paying me to talk about them now. Um, they're just really great, and I enjoy them. Uh, so, yeah, follow the link in my link tree for Schedule 35. You have to submit a valid form of government identification to them, which scares off a lot of people because, you know, it's psychedelics and then ID that can be traced right back to you. Right, like is the FBI going to come knock on my yeah, door? <laughs> exactly, but if you order it off the Internet, it can get traced to you anyway. Um, the purpose of the identification is to cover the company's own apps um, to make sure that people of legal age are actually purchasing the, these compounds. Now, if you live in Canada, you have nothing to worry about. Um, but if you live in the United States, they will ship to you. You just accept any and all liabilities for getting caught. Um, they operate out of California, which is a decriminalized state, so it is legal for them. Um, but if you don't live in a decriminalized state, uh, you know, that's kind of at your own risk. But they have a several different, I guess, packets of microdosing products um, ranging from 100 milligrams to 500 milligrams. Now, the 500 milligram dose is sold not as a microdose. I think it's like the first line of the description. Um, it is a very kind of baseline psychedelic trip. Um, actually, on the package, I don't think I have it around me right now, but it says if you want to, you can just take all four of them at once and have a two gram mushroom trip, which would be, you know, a full trip experience, but um, they're more geared towards microdosing. So if you're completely unfamiliar with microdosing and what the effects might be on you, start small. They actually have 50 milligram packets that are also mixed in with some other things. They have a um, 
one that's called the superior tonic, which I have, and they have one called the lover's dose. Um, you know, infer your own definition as to what that dose is designed for. But, um, <laughs> so there's, there's several different options. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, there's several different options that they make available and they're also working on, I haven't confirmed when the exact release date of this is, but a chocolate bar um, with mushrooms in it. So whenever that becomes available, um, I'm sure my discount code will probably work there as well. Um, that link as well as the link to my community server, um, which is hosted on Discord, um, my YouTube channel, which I will hopefully be posting here soonly. Um, posting to here soon. I like soonly. I like soonly. I like soonly. Posting to soonly. Um, and then also my TikTok, obviously, are all hosted on that link tree. Um, Which, I mean, seriously, you're highly recommended. <laughs> I love all your yeah. stuff. <laughs> You you are yeah. highly recommended. I really, I really, really do hope that you find a way to make this. Like, if this is what you want to be your bread and butter, where you're educating people through TikTok or your own platforms, um, I want you to know I'm in full support of everything you do. I think it's great. Um, Thank you. I'm yeah. super guilty of like not liking everything I watch all at the same time, only because <laughs> I don't want to be that weird person where they're like, "Oh, I got 50 new <laughs> likes, and it's me, motherfucker." <laughs> like I stalked like for the past like week. I was like, "Oh, I gotta get caught up on Vinny's stuff if we're gonna talk," and then I was like, "I don't want him to know how far down his feed <laughs> that I went." And I'm sure Desiree like looked on it too, but you have some great stuff. I really shouldn't say that I haven't been helping your algorithm. So now I'm like, okay, I'm about to blast your ass with a bunch of likes. But um, like I said, I'll link you at the bottom because I recommend your page to even just like my friends. And yeah, I make the joke that I'm not really on TikTok a lot. Desiree and our producer Andy send me TikToks every day. <laughs> so when I get on, I already have them pre-recommended to me so I don't ever like randomly swipe. But if I do go on for myself, I literally go down to the search bar. I hit my friend Callie and I go stalk her. She's on season two. And then I go to yours because if I, I'm like, okay, well, the last time I checked, he was educating people on psychedelics. I wonder what he's doing now. And then I'll go in and I'll refresh all the content that I haven't been up on so you have a fan in me and I just appreciate what you're doing and I want you to know like you you have to keep doing it you create this stuff in your basement by yourself you get comment feedback but I want you to know like you're doing good shit dude thank you a lot yeah TikTok currently has been like my mainstream um but I don't know two months ago or so I got banned Curiously enough, I got banned for all of my content surrounding the Gateway experience. It had Probably. nothing to do with my psychedelic experiences. Why? Art with my psychedelic. I don't know. So I had gotten a couple of community guidelines violations and videos taken down about psychedelics, but all of those got appealed and reinstated. And then one day I go to open up TikTok and it just says, you're banned. And I'm like, okay. Um, so I submitted an appeal, waited for way too goddamn long. And once I finally got my account back, I see this video has been removed. This video has been removed. Just like every video removed. And I started checking which ones were they. Um, and they were all my gateway videos. And I was like, these had never even received violations before. Like there weren't even like that negative comments on those videos. Um, hmm. And literally like every single, I didn't go through and check it, but there were way too many violations. Um, and the first, you know, couple that I checked were all gateway. And I was like, the, all the videos are back up now, so if you go to my page, you can still watch the Gateway stuff, but it was very curious how literally on one day, 
all of that content just got completely expunged um, and caused my account to get banned. And I have no idea what happened. Wow. Mm, that's weird. Granted, the, the CIA was heavily involved with the Gateway Experience. So who knows? Maybe they're on to me. You never uh, really know what they're up to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it just proves you're like, okay, another. Go ahead. Suppress. Suppress the knowledge again. Yeah. Thank you. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Thanks for proving us all um, right. Aliens are real. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So on that note, I'm going to hopefully move away from TikTok a little bit because YouTube's moderation is quite better and a lot more transparent. So I'm going to try and get more content up over mm -hmm. that. And then, I mean, we're, we're on discord right now talking to you. Yeah. Um, so I, I love the audio, all of that stuff. It sounds good, but they also have a really um, good community that I'd like to throw, throw in the bucket of recommendations as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to say do? thank you too, Vinny. It was really a pleasure to talk to you today, and thank you for taking the time. And um, I really appreciate your content. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, this has been fun. I've been waiting to come on since like you know the first episode that you guys brought one of my videos on to saying that you'd have me on. Um, so it's nice that it's it's, it's finally here. Oh, yeah. I can't wait, and I'm glad it actually. I didn't think that I was gonna be able to bring you on to like season five. And then I was like, why, really? why have I not called Vinny yet? Screw it. I'm calling him. I don't care what we talk about. I want to talk to Vinny. <laughs> and it's because I just went down. I went down all your gateway tapes and your psychedelic stuff. I'm like, he needs to be heard. People need to know that there's people out there that <laughs> are talking properly about all of this stuff. So like I said, you're doing it, man. And I appreciate it. Um, like I said, I don't know how many of our episodes you've gotten into and I, I don't blame you if you've only listened to one. They're like three hours a piece. <laughs> I had to edit no, the whole I thing. Used to, yeah, I used to listen to them on my way like up to work because I work 40, 50 minutes away from where I live, so it was perfect. Oh, I nice. could get like one episode in a day, you know? Damn. I got probably halfway through season one before I switched to full-time remote work. So mm. I just haven't like had an excuse to sit down and listen no, to you. No, I'm, I'm a huge travel podcaster person. So it makes a huge yeah. difference. I totally yeah. don't blame you. But I'm sure that you have noticed that um, I love music. Mm -hmm. And I love telling yeah. people about music. So um, today I picked a song um, by Unlike Pluto, of course. And it's called Painted Dreams. Um, so I just thought that I would play this for you guys. So have a good rest of your day. Vinny, thanks again so much. And to all those that are listening, please go check out Bag O Donuts on TikTok and get some good learning going on. So y'all have a good day. Enjoy the song. Just can't